join with me in prayer. Lord God, as we come to your word to study your truth, we pray that you would strengthen us in your truth, to comfort us and to convict us, to give us a gratitude for the grace that you have shown towards us. We pray that you would lead us and sanctify us in your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we work our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith, we come today to chapter 10 of Effectual Calling. If you're using the back of the Trinity hymnal, that will be page... 854 has four paragraphs. Uh, The first one kind of states the basic doctrine. The second one emphasizes God's um, initiative, our initial passivity uh, in this work of God. The third uh, addresses special cases, and the fourth uh, speaks of the rest uh, who are not effectually called. But as we turn our attention to the doctrine of effectual calling, uh, there is, uh, of course, a a scripture passage that uh, connects this idea with what we've already spoken of, uh, predestination or election, which is also how the confession begins, uh, and that is Romans uh, 8.30. Just as the confession of faith, this chapter begins, all those whom God hath predestined unto life and those only he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call. So in Romans 8.30 it says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Um, Predestination takes place in eternity past, uh, in eternity, in God's decree. Uh, But this then uh, takes place, the calling takes place in time, in history, in a person's life, uh, as he's called into this salvation uh, that he's been uh, destined to. Uh, God calls him, and then uh, accordingly he justifies him, and uh, he will also Uh, glorify uh, as uh, he fulfills his work and his promise. Let me go ahead and begin by reading uh, the first paragraph of chapter 10. All those whom God hath predestined unto life, and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time, effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so, as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. The chapter is called Of Effectual Calling. Now, what is an effectual 
call. What does the word effectual refer to? That it works? Yeah, uh, we would say uh, it's a call that takes effect or that has the, the power of taking effect. Uh, Noah Webster in his dictionary defines effectual as producing an effect or the effect desired or intended or having adequate power or force to produce the effect. Uh, it's not simply that these are uh, the calls that did in the end, take effect, as if God called equally to all and, and some people answered it, uh, but rather that this call that we speak of, this call of God, has the power adequate and, and uh, adequate power and force to produce that effect. And so it does produce that effect uh, because uh, God has so called. Now, who will be effectually called, uh, as the confession has described it here? Who is effectually called? All those whom Christ, All those whom Christ died for, right? And whom did Christ die for? <laughs> us? Yeah. yeah. Who, who is us? Uh, who, who did Christ die for? Who will he effectually call? Those he is pleased with. Those who were those whom he is predestined unto everlasting life. Yes, those whom he was pleased to uh, elect, and he is also pleased to call them. You know, he is pleased is, is emphasizing God's freedom, that this was his choice uh, to do so, uh, that to, and he, he has chosen them to this, and so he puts it into effect. Um, and he, he fulfills uh, that uh, decree. All those and only those whom God has predestined unto life from eternity. Now, who effectually calls them? This should be easy, right? God, yes. God effectually calls them. And out of what does he call them? Darkness. Darkness. Sin and death. Sin and death. Yeah, the state of sin and death. Um, We speak of in Colossians... uh, the domain of darkness, uh, that we are called out of something, and what are we called into, or to what are we called? What? The light, light, right? Domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Grace and salvation. Salvation, that's, that's what we're embracing here. What state are we called into? Yes, grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. We talked about the fourfold states, right? You know, we could actually say we're called into the states of grace and glory, but you know, here the emphasis is on that tr- that initial transition from uh, from sin and death uh, to grace and salvation by a mediator, by Jesus Christ, uh, and that is the transition here. We're getting called out of one thing into another thing. I think it's First Peter talks about how we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, um, that we've gone from one domain, which is aptly called darkness, the darkness of sin, the darkness of death, and into light, the light of life, the light of God's favor and presence. Now, by what means does God call sinners out of the state of sin and death into grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. By what means does he call them? His spirit? 
His word. Yep, both of them. By his word and spirit. <clears throat> In Second Thessalonians, I would open but, uh, to it, except I have it written in my notes already, but if you want to turn there, you can. Second Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14, um, Paul speaks of this call that they had, the Thessalonian saints had received, and he says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by the sanctification uh, by the Spirit and belief in the truth uh, that they receive what they were chosen for, and um, he, he called them through, through our gospel. Uh, through that message, uh, that message of salvation in Jesus Christ has called them and uh, being applied powerfully by the Holy Spirit. So we might say that the Spirit uses the Word, uh, or something like that, but Word and Spirit uh, together are the means by which God calls people to salvation. And so, the paragraph here then, having described this, you know, what is it, who's getting called, who's calling, by what means, into what, out of what, uh, lists two or three things, depending on how you divide it up, but um, to explain this work of, of changing uh, the, the sinner, that he first of all enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. So there is work that God does on your mind, uh, because in the state of sin and misery, uh, we are spiritually blind. We, we suppress the truth. We do not accept the things of God. They're foolish to the one who is in sin. But God enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. It's interesting that both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are areas where this <clears throat> plays a major role. Um, but let me just pick one of them. So you could look at 1 Corinthians 2. The spiritual person, the person born of the Spirit, understands and is able to receive the things freely given by the Spirit, the gospel. Uh, but 2 Corinthians 4, 6 <clears throat> Uh, he's been speaking of how the Spirit writes uh, the, uh, that we are tablets with writing by the Spirit of the living God. Um, and even though in the beginning of chapter 4 it says the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. All right, so if unbelievers are blinded by the God of this world, how then may sinners be saved. But we see in verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Notice again, it's the gospel that is being proclaimed. Are they going to be able to receive the gospel? And how are people able to receive the gospel? It's by God, the same one who said, Let shine, light shine out of darkness, you know, at the very beginning, creating light to begin with. So by his word, he powerfully, and by his spirit in the context here, <clears throat> has shown light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
And so he calls forth, and there is understanding. There is uh, the ability to understand and receive uh, the gospel so that it is no longer received with blindness. So he enlightens their minds. He also takes away their heart of stone and gives unto them a heart of flesh. Who knows where that language comes from? What, what book of the Bible? Ezekiel, Ezekiel yes. <clears throat> in Ezekiel, he actually brings it up twice in Ezekiel, but Ezekiel 36, as God prophesies of the new covenant and God's reviving of his people, in 36.26, he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll go on to the next verse. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Uh, but notice that there is a, a change of heart, a, a new heart, a new spirit, uh, a new nature, we might uh, say. Now, usually we think of flesh as a bad thing, but in this case, when it's being compared to stone, flesh is a good thing. Flesh is responsive. It's not hard-hearted. It's uh, receptive of of God's uh, leading and uh, word. And so God gives us a new heart. And out of the heart comes all sorts of things, right? Good or evil. And so God enlightens the minds. He, He gives us new hearts. He then also... Um, and kind of in doing these things, but he also renews their wills and by his almighty power determines them to that which is good and effectually draws them to Christ. We talked about that last week, right? Um, our will is, is in bondage until God frees it and renews it uh, so that we do in fact choose Christ uh, and exercise that will, uh, exercising faith in Christ. We saw in Ezekiel 36 that he puts his spirit so that uh, the sinner begins to uh, respond obediently to God's word, begins to walk in his ways. It's being determined unto good. Uh, Philippians 2 speaks of how God works to will and to do uh, his good pleasure, that works in the believer so that the believer might will and do God's good pleasure. I think we looked at John 6 last time, how uh, it is the Father who draws people to Christ, and no one can come to Christ unless the Father draws them, and uh, that uh, they will be taught by God, uh, taught in, a, in an inner way, in a way that effectually leads them to come to Christ. And so God does this in a way that they come most freely, being made willing by His grace. Uh, the, the sinner does, is not being uh, coerced against his will grudgingly. Uh, at, at first, he might resist the gospel when he hears it, because he's a sinner, but as God uh, renews his will, works this grace, calls him, he answers willingly and freely. Uh, just as Lazarus, you know, freely, willingly walked out of the tomb, uh, that, that's the sinner uh, willingly comes uh, to Christ, comes to Christ, and is saved by him. One of the most one of the interesting footnotes uh, or proof texts in the confession here is to go to Song of Solomon, chapter 1, uh, verse 4, uh, but, uh, that in speaking of this willingness to be drawn after 
Christ. Uh, but there's other passages that we could go to uh, as well. Uh, Romans 6, for example. <clears throat> In Romans 6, 16 through 18. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Uh, So this bondage has been broken. You've become uh, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. Uh, to which you were committed, to, to the gospel, uh, which has come. <clears throat> and so this is God's work of effectual calling. Any questions here on the first paragraph? <clears throat> I'll have to go a little quicker, I guess, through the other paragraphs, but uh, there's still... Let's go to Article 2. This effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man, who is altogether passive therein, until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. So this effectual call, it's a work of God, it's a work of God's Spirit, And it's of his grace. It's of his free and special grace. And those words are used uh, very purposefully. Uh, Because an Arminian uh, would, uh, many of them at least, would say that, of course, it's of grace. We're all totally depraved. You're right. No one is able to come to Christ because we're dead in sin. We're not Pelagians. We're Arminians. We believe, that, though, that God has given this grace to all people so that all people are able to make this choice for God. And God treats all people equally and gives them what they call prevenient grace, uh, this kind of general grace that doesn't itself save but gives them the ability to be saved. Now, of course, Scripture doesn't speak uh, of this, I would argue, but... Uh, that's what they would say. And so the confession here is saying it's of special grace and of God's free grace. It's not grace that's based on some foresight of what they're going to do, nor is it such a general grace that's to, uh, un- to the elect and the non-elect, to all people, but it's a special saving grace to those who are being called. Not from anything at all foreseen in man um, and uh, who, who's altogether passive therein, until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer the call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. 2 Timothy 1.9 speaks of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Whether you speak of uh, grace being based on the foresight of what you're going to do, or grace that's generally equally given to all people so that the person who acts on it is saved, it still ends up boiling down to works, you know, that distinguishes the one who is called and saved from the person who remains in sin. Uh, But Scripture testifies that God has called us not because of our works, uh, but because of his own purpose and grace. And that is... Uh, what has brought us salvation, uh, that it is not of works. 
And so man is passive in this work. Uh, He's dead. He's unable to save himself, but he is passive until he is quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables the sinner to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered uh, and conveyed in it. Uh, So we sometimes distinguish between regeneration, which at least later theologians have used uh, in a more precise sense of God's renewing and uh, quickening the sinner uh, so that he is then able to respond to the gospel with faith and repentance, which we might call conversion. Both regeneration and conversion are included in effectual calling. Effectual calling is God calling you into salvation, and that both involves this renewing and quickening work of God in which you're passive, uh, and then your response to that, which is immediate, uh, in faith and repentance, receiving the gospel, embracing what it offers to you and conveys to you uh, through faith. And so you're passive, but you don't remain passive. You eventually get active. Uh, As Jesus said, the hour is coming and is now here, where the dead will hear the voice of the Son of uh, God, Son of Man, I forget which term he uses, and the dead will live. Um, Speaking of uh, the hour that was then already, uh, the work of spiritual uh, regeneration and life, uh, that they would begin living. And just as Lazarus walked out of the tomb, so the living then respond and begin to live and embrace the grace that is offered. Article 3 describes what I would call special cases. Let me go ahead and read it. Elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit who works when and where and how he pleaseth. So also are all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. And so this deals with those who are inherently unable to receive the outward call of the word, of, of the gospel. Uh, elect infants dying in infancy are one category in that uh, class of persons. Um, perhaps others who are um, so mentally disabled or uh, otherwise hindered um, in, in, inherently in their own uh, ability of being outwardly called by the word. And one point here is that no one is automatically saved. Uh, No one is automatically saved. Uh, Those infants who die in infancy who uh, are saved um, are not saved because they're infants who die in infancy. They're saved by grace, just like anyone else. That all mankind that that is conceived uh, is conceived in sin and is under God's wrath and curse and is only delivered from that, by Christ, working through the Spirit. By nature, we're all depraved, condemned, condemned in sin, heirs of Adam, children of wrath. But God can save those who are incapable of being outwardly called by the gospel, such as infants who die in infancy. Uh, Whether they, we're talking about them dying before death or shortly after death, that they elect infants who die in infancy, are regenerated and saved by Christ, through the Spirit. Uh, that is where, how life is given uh, to uh, humans, uh, is through Christ 
by the Spirit. Like all the rest of the elect, they are saved by grace. And the Spirit is able to work as he pleases. As John 3 says, it's like the wind. Uh, He works when and where he pleases. And he is certainly able to work in infants. We see his work in John the Baptist, for example, uh, pointing him even to Christ. Uh, The psalmist can refer back to his days of infancy and childhood, how God was already working in him then. Uh, So that is certainly uh, possible and uh, is a way that God works. And so uh, elect infants will be saved before they die. Uh, He unites the sinner to Christ, uh, the Spirit does, and puts the sinner in possession of salvation. Now, Scripture and the Confession do not say how many infants who die in infancy are elect and therefore saved. It simply says elect infants who die in infancy are saved in this way. Uh, Perhaps all of them are, perhaps not, Um, but we are not really told. And so, especially as a confessional statement, it's not going to guess. Um, But Scripture does give believers warrant to trust that their infants who die in infancy are saved uh, in the promise of God to be a God to you and to your children. That's not really the point of this passage in the chapter on effectual calling, but while speaking of it, I thought I'd also quote from the Canons of Dort, which is an earlier uh, document from the controversy over Calvinism and Arminianism in, uh, in Holland. <clears throat> and there it said, Since we are to judge of the will of God from his word, which testifies that the children of believers are holy, not by nature, but in virtue of the covenant of grace, in which they together with the parents are comprehended, godly parents ought not to doubt the election and salvation of their children, whom it pleases God to call out of this life in their infancy. And so there on uh, if special cases that God is still able to save, and he still effectually calls them to salvation, uh, those who are elected by the Spirit. Now, Article 4, then, refers to the rest, those who are not elected. Others not elected, though they may be called by the ministry of the Word and may have some common operations of the Spirit, yet they never truly come unto Christ and therefore cannot be saved. Much less can men not professing the Christian religion be saved in any other way whatsoever, be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the laws of that religion they do profess. And to assert and maintain that they may is very pernicious and uh, to be detested. So those who are not elected may still be called by the ministry of the word. They may still have some, what the confession calls, common operations of the spirit. In other words, the spirit can be active in some ways, ways that are common to people, not saving work of the spirit. Um, Certainly the spirit was active in King Saul and giving him certain gifts, but not in a way that was leading him to faith, uh, at least at that time, as, as far as we know. Um, the Spirit may yet have some common work or in the person who is yet not truly converted, uh, that they do not come to Christ and cannot be saved, therefore. And Scripture speaks of such people who are in 
the church who are outwardly called and yet uh, have not come to faith in Christ. John 15 speaks of them as dead branches on the vine. In Matthew, they're called the wedding guest without the wedding garment, uh, the seeds on the path, the stony ground and the thorny soil, uh, the bad fish in the net, or those in Matthew 7 who had worked miracles in, in Christ's name and yet who had not followed him. Now, uh, if a false believer cannot be saved, how much less can they be saved who remain a professed unbeliever or a pagan, even though they might be very diligent in, in trying to frame their lives according to the light of nature, that is, to, you know, to reason, to natural revelation, to the laws of their professed religion, and you might, they might try to be a very good Muslim or Hindu or whatever other religion they may profess, but Scripture still testifies that those who are outside of Christ uh, have no hope uh, in the world. So Ephesians 2, verse 12, for example... says that, speaking of the Gentile Christians, saying, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Uh, The scripture reveals that there is one way of salvation, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no other name given among men under heaven by which men can be saved. And to assert that someone might be saved by being really diligent to do good, um, according to other religions or without religion, uh, is a dangerous doctrine, pernicious. Why? Well, first of all, it overthrows the doctrine of grace. You're not saved by works. You know, this doctrine is teaching that you are saved by doing works, uh, and and that would be pernicious for that reason. But it's also uh, pernicious because it misleads pagans. It also because it destroys Christian missions. If people don't need Christ to be saved, then why go out there and and preach Christ? Uh, Other than, I guess, mere obedience. Uh, But it is a, a dangerous doctrine as well as a wrong one. Now, you might wonder, who teaches this? Does anyone teach this? Um, and uh, that, that people can be saved through other religions or without Christ? Well, the Roman Catholic Church believes this, uh, even though they're the ones who say that, you know, outside the church, no one can be saved. But they also then go ahead to say uh, this, for example, quote, those who, through no fault of their own, do not know the gospel of Christ of his church, or do not know the gospel of Christ or his church, but who nevertheless seek God with a sincere heart and moved by grace, try in their actions to do his will as they know it through the dictates of their conscience, those too may achieve eternal salvation. Uh, so yeah, there are some people that, that do teach that. Um, and uh, that's why confession of faith has to make this statement that God calls people by his word and spirit through the gospel and through Jesus Christ who unites people to Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now, when our denomination was founded, Machen also, uh, J. Gresham Machen, uh, ran into this in uh, theological liberals who were coming into the foreign missions of the Presbyterian Church, who were beginning to teach that, uh, that we really shouldn't try to convert people out of other religions, but rather work with religions to kind of move together in our search for the truth, um, teach them to, to be good uh, members of whatever religion, whatever religion they 
profess, and that's one reason why he set up with others an independent board of foreign missions, which then is what got him defrocked by the mainline denomination and caused them to form the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Uh, It's important to be, uh, especially on foreign missions, where you're presenting the Christian faith to the world, to unbelievers, to be clear on the message of salvation, that it is through Jesus Christ uh, that we uh, may be saved. So, this is uh, still a, a present issue, and it's one, though, that should motivate us to share the gospel with the lost. This is the means God uses to bring people to salvation, and it's not just your words that are at work, uh, that God also works by His Spirit and with power uh, to change people from the inside out so that they become a new creation. Uh, This is uh, the work of God. And so let's give thanks that He has done this work already uh, in our lives and also hold forth this gospel, this offer of salvation uh, to all. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your grace that has called us who are dead and helpless in our sins unto salvation. Uh, We pray that you would continue to work this among all your saints to purify your church, as well as to add to this number by converting the, the lost, those who dwell in darkness and under the shadow of death. We pray that you would bless the preaching and witness of your church, that you, this, the gospel would come uh, not only in word but in power, uh, that you would give us uh, hearts that uh, love you, that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and eagerly run in the path of your commandments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.